Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. Harry had asked me to come speak on sex, self-esteem, and self-image to dads and daughters. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is not easy. But as I really prayed about it and looked at it and and just spent the last two days truly on my face, um, God really started to show me some things. And, you know, it really shouldn't be hard to talk about, but we're going to talk about sex first. Are you all ready? Excited? Okay. Um, First of all, I just wanted to look at this too. I really had to back up and think, what does that mean? What are those three things? And what do they mean? And how are they different? And so my definition for sex was becoming one flesh. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute, why that's my definition. And then self-esteem is how you rate yourself. You know, your self-esteem is is what you think about yourself and how you rate yourself. And then self-image is how you see yourself, like an image in the mirror, what you really see. And what's interesting about that is what you see is not necessarily what others see and or what God sees. And so we're going to really talk about that too because you are going to be so much more joyful and so much more happy in this life if you can see what God sees. And that's what you will start to have happen in your life the more you look at the Word of God and the more you look in the Bible because it'll be the mirror where you can actually see what God sees about you. I want to read you a story um, that I had rewritten about, gosh, 15 years ago when I did Campus Live, and it's called The Locket. And I want to read it to you because it's about sex, but it's something that I want you to think about and maybe make little notes on and just apply it to your life. And if you'll forgive me, I don't usually read so many things, but when I was preparing this, God just really allowed me to read. And and so um, I wanted to have it word for word as, as I had rewritten it. It's a story that a man had written that I updated. Um, his name is Bob Wolgamuth, and then I rewrote it and updated it. Dinner in the movies, lunch and quick hallway conversations, long hours on the telephone, and Ryan knew that he was in love. She had long brown hair that fell softly under her shoulders and huge, beautiful green eyes that sparkled as she laughed. She was the most quiet, intellectual type of mystery. But the more Ryan discovered about Christy, the more he loved her. She made him feel so secure and confident, especially in front of other people. Christy was the kind of girl that made other guys stop and stare. Ryan was so glad that she was his, and he wanted to give her something to show how much he loved her. When Ryan was 10, his mother became ill with cancer, and before she died, she gave her son a gold locket, a very special heirloom that had been in the family for years. A perfect diamond lay in the center of the locket, and tiny pearls circled the rim. Someday, Ryan, when you meet that one special person that you choose to spend the rest of your life with and marry, you can give her this locket to keep as a reminder of your love for her, said his mother. Ryan thought how wonderful it would be to give the locket to Christy. So, on Valentine's Day, 
he presented her with the velvet box and watched in anticipation as she opened and then put on the beautiful locket. March 2nd, Ryan received a note from Christy suggesting that they see other people and cool things off. Inside the envelope was the locket, but with a small dent on the back that happened when Christy accidentally dropped it. Ryan was hurt for a while until he met Jennifer. <laughs> Unlike Christy, Jennifer was very outgoing. He could pick her out from all the girls in the dance team. She was blonde, tanned, and natural. They loved to go on picnics, long walks on the beach, and Jennifer always thought of something fun to do. Being around her gave Ryan so much energy. It was a perfect summer, and that was true love. June 20th, Jennifer's birthday, Ryan gave her the locket, and she was ecstatic. For a year and five months, she wore it everywhere and never, ever took it off until she met Ben. Crushed, Ryan took back the locket and put it in its velvet box. He hardly noticed that one of the pearls was missing and that it needed polishing badly. Ryan went to college that year, and there he met Rachel. She was the kindest, most caring person that he had ever encountered. She had soft brown eyes and a face that could never, ever be put out of his mind. Even the mention of her name brought a smile to his lips. Rachel and Ryan spent every free moment together for the next three years of college. Christmas of their senior year, Ryan brought Rachel home to be with his dad. It was then that he knew he wanted to ask Rachel to marry him. On Christmas Eve, Ryan got down on his knees and asked Rachel to spend the rest of her life with him. And when she said yes, it was the happiest moment of his life. A week before the wedding, Rachel and Ryan decided to exchange wedding gifts. Ryan went to his old dresser and pulled out the velvet box, but he wasn't going to give it to her until their marriage night because it was so special. The velvet box, of course, contained the beautiful locket. And to his shock, when he opened the box, the locket was badly dented and so tarnished it was almost black. He took it to a jeweler and had it cleaned and repaired, and he even paid an extra to replace the missing pearl. Ryan and Rachel's wedding day was more exciting and more beautiful than either had ever imagined. And that night, when they were finally alone, Ryan gave Rachel the beautiful box to open. Rachel's eyes filled with tears of joy and love as Ryan helped her to put on the locket. She told him that it was the most unique and special gift that she had ever received. But as Ryan looked at the locket glimmering on Rachel's neck, he couldn't help but remember the other girls that had worn it, and he wished with all of his heart that he had waited to give it away. That is a story, of course, about sex. And God designed it. God designed sex to be a special, incredible gift where a man and a woman who are married become one flesh. And I wish every girl in your whole school could hear that story because when you give it away early, before you're married, there is a regret that cannot be ever healed really 
I have talked to so many girls and guys that wish that they had waited. And I just pray tonight that you all will not only hear that story, but tonight really think about it and think about what God might be saying to you with that. And I just wanted you to hear that tonight. I wanted to say, first of all, that sex was designed by God, and it seems to be like this word that you really shouldn't ever say out loud. You know, it's funny how even I felt that way, and yet it's not embarrassing to God. He designed it, only the world has so marred it and so made it such a dirty word that we as Christians don't ever talk about it, and we should. Um, In Genesis 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united, that means one flesh, to his wife. They will become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know what's so cool about that is that that scripture in the Bible tells us that we shouldn't feel shame about it. We shouldn't. Because the original intent for God was that a man and his wife would become united and not feel shame. And so even tonight, when I am talking to you about it, in a room with dads and daughters, you know, it could and, and maybe even the world would say, well, that's really uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be because we're supposed to not feel shame. You know, the purpose of sex, I wanted to go over that because That's important, and we need to always look and see what the Word says. And girls, if y'all walk away with anything tonight, walk away with this. Don't ever take anyone's word for anything unless you see it in Scripture. I don't care if they're a youth pastor, a pastor, a rector, a college professor. Look it up in the Bible and get the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He is the Logos, written Word of God. And in your life, always go back to the Word. So we want to look at what does God say is the purpose of sex. And if you look in Genesis 1.28, you might want to write that down. Genesis 1.28, one purpose of sex is to have children, to multiply. And so we need to know that that is one purpose of sex. Another one is in Proverbs 5, verses 18 through 20, and that is to express love. It expresses love. And then number three, in Song of Solomon, in the scriptures, sex is for pleasure and marriage. It's not just to have babies, but it's for pleasure and to express love. And when it's saved for marriage, it is the most special thing. It is so incredibly special. And then number four, in Genesis 2, verses 24 through 25, like we just read, it's for something that we want to say is atonement. I want you to write this down because this is really cool. When you look at those scriptures that we just looked at, it says that this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Sex is the most physical picture that we can have of our salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he atoned for our sins. And if you break down that word, I'm going to go kind of slow because this is really, really, really cool. I don't want you to miss it. If you break down the word atonement, it's act 
one minute. And when Jesus died on the cross, he brought us to be at one with God. And when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he comes and lives inside you. The Holy Spirit lives inside you. And you become one with God. You become at one with God. God lives in you. And atonement means at one bent. And when a man and a woman join together physically, they become one flesh. And that is why God does not want that abused or misused because it is the most incredible picture of his love for us. It is the picture of salvation. It is the picture of atonement. And for us to ever do that outside of marriage is marring the cross of Christ. And so that is why we need to know that. We need to know that that is such a beautiful picture. I want to read you something out of the Message Bible. How many of you all have a Message Bible? Anybody? No way! Tom, okay. The Message Bible is so good sometimes just to read some scriptures out of. And the reason is is because you can take some scriptures that you know really well and read it out of the message and it has a totally new message, no pun intended. But it was um, written with the intention not to be like a perfect you know, Bible um, because I think it's not perfectly um, a source for the Word of God. I kind of lean towards the King James. But anyway... Um, sometimes when you read the scriptures out of the Message Bible, it can really speak to your heart. So if y'all will bear with me, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20. I think you guys got it on your handout, yeah? Okay. There is more to sex than skin on skin. Sex is, much, is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different than all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, those bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another? Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual... Wait, let me back up. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now, I want to tell you the truth. And I know that you all are freshmen and sophomore, right? Is that right? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the truth. You probably will be tempted. You know, you may sit here tonight and some of you may be like, okay, well, this is just so obvious to me and I am never going to be tempted and you know, this is just the deal. Or maybe some of you have already been tempted. But can I just fess up to something? When Lacey and I dated, we dated for three years, and then we were engaged for a year. And I'm sorry if I embarrass him, but 
Becoming one flesh with someone you love is so tempting, okay? It's the truth. It doesn't matter how much you love Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you love God. It is very tempting. It can be. And some of you in this room may be like, breeze through and you get married, you're never tempted. Or you may be like me and you're very, very tempted at some point. So let me tell you how you can avoid giving away yourself and regretting it, okay? You have to decide tonight. You can't wait until you're in love with somebody. You've got to decide tonight. So I want to read you something. It can be tempting to be in love, but I wrote this down because I think this is so important. Number one, you have to decide tonight. Number two, you've got to determine now how far you're going to go. And I know that sounds like, gosh, Kathleen, you're really messing in my business. But you and God have got to pray. You've got to pray and get peace and get on the same page and communicate with Him. It's going to be so important. And I know this sounds like, oh my gosh, Kathleen, you're really, really embarrassing me. But you've got to make a decision tonight not to give away. You know, the... the, The story I read about the locket, Ryan, giving himself away, each time he did was because he was in love. He gave that precious locket away because he was in love. But little did he know that he would fall out of love and fall in love again. And so, so many girls and so many guys give themselves away thinking, well, this is the one anyway, so it doesn't matter. Wait until you're married. Because that's what God says. And because that's a beautiful, incredible picture of salvation. Stay away from the edge. When you're deciding how far you're going to go, stay away from the edge. I would really suggest that you stay with kissing and you stay within where you know people are near. I'm just going to tell you that tonight. And I'm going to say that you reserve that kiss for a super important person because even that can become tarnished. Now that sounds like, gosh, Kathleen, that's just really strict. It's going to save you heartache from having to decide later or heartache from having to back up and say, gosh, I wish I hadn't have gone that far. I'm just being really honest with you all, okay? Be different. You're going to be so different than some of your friends. And they're going to be talking about what they've done or how neat something was. Be different. Rebel against the world. You know, people talk about, oh, teenagers are so rebellious. I'm telling you to be rebellious. (laughs) Rebel against TV. Rebel against the movies. Rebel against the world. Buck the system. Okay? Will ya? I'm telling you to do it. Be different. If you're going to rebel, rebel against the world. I'm giving you permission tonight. And enjoy it. Be the different person. Enjoy it. Everybody can be the same as somebody else. Be different. And then I want to say this. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus that when you wait as hard as it is, that when you finally are with your husband, 
He will make it. Jesus will make it so special. Please trust him. The Bible says the trust in the Lord with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways to acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It says don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. That means respect the Lord, respect your parents, and shun evil, and it will be health to your flesh and marrow to your bones. Just trust him. I want to read you something else in the message, too, that I think is really, really good. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, One final word, friends, we ask you, urge you is more like it, that you keep on doing what what we told you to do to please God, not in a dogged religious plod, but in a living, spirited dance. You know the guidelines we laid out for you from the Master Jesus. God wants you to have a pure life. Keep yourselves from sexual promiscuity. Learn to appreciate and give dignity to your body, not abusing it as is so common among those who know nothing of God. And bear with me too. I'm going to read this as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 through 19, the message as well. Because this is so important for us to hear. I'm going to say it first just so you know. This is a scripture that just basically tells you that There's no temptation, even though I said, you know, there may be a time in the near future or in the far future, or maybe you've already been there where you have literally been tempted to give yourself away, to to go a little bit too far. And the Bible, though, is going to help you in this. The Holy Spirit is going to help you because it says clearly that no temptation has seized you except for what is common to man, and that God will always provide a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13-19, the message says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. You need to know that. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So, my very dear friends, when you see people reducing God to something they can use or control, get out of their company as fast as you can. I want you to star that. I want you to highlight it, put a heart by it, whatever you need to do, because that is so important. I'm giving you permission to not always be the nicest person in the world. If there's somebody cutting down God or Jesus Christ or pulling you away from the truth, um, encouraging you to rebel against your parents, get away from them. Get away. The Bible says to do it. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what he is. That is so awesome. You know, and I feel like that is what... Maybe some believers in Jesus have done is they have reduced Christ to what they are or to what they think or what they feel. And that is absolutely wrong because we should constantly be risen and rising up to who Christ is. I don't want you to become part of something, verse 19, that reduces you to less than yourself and you can't have it both ways banqueting with the master one day 
and slumming with the demons the next. Besides, the master won't put up with it. He wants us. All or nothing. Do you think you can get off with anything less? I want to stop and say this. You know, when I'm reading this, and I'm reading the Word of God or saying the Word of God to you, First of all, it excites me so much because I love the Word so much and it has changed my life, it has saved my life, it is my life. But second of all, I want you to know that the Word contains who you really are. And in Psalm 139, God said that He created you before the beginning of time, you, and waited Do you know he waited and placed you specifically in your mom in this generation at this time for a purpose and a reason? Each one of you, if you look around this room, you were placed in your generation, in your grade, for a specific purpose at a specific time. Don't you want to know what that is? I want to know what that purpose is. And you'll only know that by getting to know Jesus. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you will know the true you. Hear me. Eve, I mean, every person I talk to wants to know who am I really. And, and people go on talk shows, you know, like we were talking about talk shows, and they're like, you know, I just need to know the real me, or I'm on a search for the real me, or you'll learn Maslow's triangle or whatever it is, self-realization. The real you is hidden in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says that he is the word. So the more you get to know the word, the more you get to know of who you really are and who you were meant to be as a specific individual, as someone who loves art, as someone who loves horseback riding, as someone who's going to be married to a senator, only you don't know it yet, as someone who is going to be an amazing architect, as someone who's going to write a book, You don't know, but God knows. And I just want to encourage you tonight to read Psalm 139. That's your assignment. Read it tonight. Read Psalm 139. And think about God just really speaking to you. I want to read you a quote that I think is so, so good. It's by Oswald Chambers, and your dads are going to know who that is. But I want to read it to you, and then I'm also going to read you a quote by C.S. Lewis, who you know, only it's not from his Chronicles of Narnia book. It's from a book called The Weight of Glory. Oswald Chambers said, All sin is rooted in the belief that God is not very good. You know, when we go against God's word, there's got to be an innate, decision deep in us or a misbelief, a, a, a lie that God is not really good. Because if we really believe that God is really good, then we just want to do what he says. And so Oswald Chambers said, all sin is rooted in the belief that God is not very good. C.S. Lewis says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. What that means is like a little kid who's never been to the ocean, they've never been to the seaside, 
They've never seen the waves or the seagulls or the sand or the sunset at the beach. But they have a fun time in their front yard making mud pies. When they're offered to go to a trip to the beach, they turn it down because they can't imagine that the ocean and the beach is better than their mud pies. And you see, when people haven't experienced God's ways and His truth and His word, they accept dirt, mud pies compared to the ocean. They stay where they are because they cannot imagine that something's better. And I want you all to know that God's ways are better and higher. Don't ever accept second best. Ever. Ever. And I want to stop with this about the issue of sex with this group. And I want to say this. What do you do if you've already made a mistake? You know, you all may have girls that come to you and and say, I've already made a mistake. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, gosh, you know, I wish I hadn't kissed so-and-so or I wish I hadn't done something. That is what Jesus died for. He died for us to be forgiven. And 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to know that. That scripture says, if you admit to Jesus that you've made a mistake, He not only forgives you, He what? What else does He do? He cleanses you. He allows you to start over. He allows you to start over. And we all need that. We all need that. We need to be able to start over. Lamentations 3.21 says that God's mercies are new every morning. And I love that scripture because I need His mercies every morning. I, I do stuff about every hour I wish I didn't do. So, you don't want to drag that around. And the neatest thing about being a Christian is you don't need to drag that around. You don't need to have the dirtiness of what you said wrong or thought wrong or did wrong ever on your heart. You can ask for forgiveness. And so I want you to share with yourself and share with other girls that you can start over. I want you to share Psalm 5110 with them. Maybe you could look that up tonight. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. And it also says, Restore the joy of my salvation. You know, when we've done things that are against the word of God, we lose our joy. And you know, what's really interesting is in working with teenagers for years and hanging out with teenagers and loving teenagers, just loving to be with teenagers, what I hear so often is, well, my mom or dad said this or that, but you know they're ridiculous or they don't know anything or I'm going to do this instead. And what I've noticed that is kind of a secret that I want to share with you all, I don't think I've ever said this before, is that they would start to lose their joy. And you know why? Because when we do stuff that innately we know is wrong, we lose our joy. We just do. It's what happens. And so instead of becoming more happy, you really kind of lose your happiness. 
And so David says in Psalm 51.10, God created me a clean heart and then renew me a right spirit. Restore the joy in me. And God can restore that too when we get on his page. Okay? When we look at self-esteem, self-esteem is how you rate yourself. And for Dare to Be Rare, there was a book that we handed out, and this was a chapter in the book called Selling Yourself Short. And I really want to read it to you because it's so important that we don't sell ourselves short. There's a story about two teenagers who find a golden diamond necklace on the sidewalk and neither had seen such a glamorous, expensive necklace. And after celebrating their good luck with slaps on the back, they decided to go to several pawn shops to see how much money they could get for selling the necklace. They guessed they could get $100. The first pawn shop looked the necklace over and offered $5,000. Amazed and almost speechless, the teenagers conferred and decided to go to another pawn shop down the street just to see what they might offer. After showing the necklace to the second pawn shop, the owner offered the teenagers $15,000. After getting over their excitement, the teens decided to try one more store before selling. Finally, they took their necklace to a fancy jewelry store, and right away the owner offered $30,000. Already dreaming about how to spend the money, The teens excitedly sold the necklace for $30,000 to the fancy jewelry store. The next day, on a whim, they decided to go back to the same store just to see the necklace displayed. From the sidewalk, they saw in the display window the selling price, $150,000. Confused and angry, they turned away. Guess we could have gotten more for that necklace, one said. Guess so, the other replied. This story illustrates a very important point. Don't underestimate your worth and value. The kids in the story let other people set the worth of the necklace. Stop right there. And I want you to write down, don't ever let someone else tell me my worth. Don't ever let someone else tell me my worth. The kids in the story let other people set the worth of the necklace and then sold it for the highest price, but they got ripped off. The necklace was worth far more than they had received. In much the same way, many people are waiting to hear from others that they are valuable. And just like the teens in the story, they go from group to group until they have settled on the highest bidder. Is that true? That is true. No matter how badly this group mistreats them, they think, this is what I am worth. This application applies to social groups or cliques as much as it it does to street gangs. Whatever the group, if you attempt to get value for yourself through the eyes of others, you will always be sold short. Why? Because only God knows your potential. We talked about that in Psalm 139. Only God knows who you really are. Not even your parents. Not your best friend. Not your boyfriend. Not your girlfriend if you're a guy. No one knows your worth and value but God. And nobody knows your potential but God. Only God knows the hidden talents He has placed within you. Only God knows your dreams. The Bible says in Psalm 37 
that if you delight yourself in the Lord, that he'll give you the desires and the dreams of your heart. Only God knows really what those even are. Only God knows his plan for you. Only God knows your heart. Other people will always sell you short. Now, every eye on me, many people will not mean to. Your parents, I know your parents, most of you in this room, they will never mean to sell you short. But only God knows your true potential. Only God. Only God knows your worth and value. In the book of 1 Samuel, God told the prophet Samuel to pick out the new king of Israel, and God revealed that the king would be one of the sons of Jesse. And in 1 Samuel 16:6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. Now listen, Samuel's a prophet, and God says, Go pick out a king. And he says, Go to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has a whole bunch of sons, and the oldest one is named Eliab. So here's what happened. Eliab was the son of Jesse. He was was older and probably wiser than the other brothers. Eliab was a warrior, good-looking, strong, and tall. But let's read on and see what God has to say. 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can you put a heart around that? The Lord looks at the heart. The people that God uses, the people that will make a difference for the kingdom of God, the people that are going to hear in heaven, well done, good and faithful servant, are not going to be the good-looking ones particularly, not going to be the smartest ones, not going to be the ones necessarily that make the most money, although those things could be included. They are going to be the people that have a heart for God. Have a heart for God tonight. I mean, even if you've never had it before, pray to God and say, God, I want it. I want to have a heart for you. I can't even tell you how exciting it is to have a heart for God. He does stuff in your life that you would never, ever dream of. Ever. Because He's God. And He can. It's so great. And you know what? We were talking about football last night and talking about winning teams and losing teams. God is the winning team. Why would anybody choose the losing team? I would never, ever say, I'm going to pick a high school or a college and I'm going to choose a loser high school college. I would want to be always on the winning team. And that's God. And He wants his whole team to have a heart for him. He cares about the heart. This is key. Let's read on God's opinion again. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the outside things. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Is this sinking in? God is after someone whose heart is turned towards him. God will promote that person regardless of his or her outside appearance, age, intelligence, or even abilities. Did you know that? You know, you may have a struggle in school. God does not care how smart you are. He will put you places that you never dreamed of, even as you struggle in every class in school for the rest of your life, If you will have a heart for him, 
because he's God. On with our story. All seven sons of Jesse passed in front of Samuel, but the Lord had not chosen any of them. So in 1 Samuel 16.11, Samuel says to Jesse, Are all these the sons you have? And Jesse tells him, Well, they're still the youngest. And he's the eighth son, by the way. But he is tending the sheep. And so Samuel says, Send for him and will not sit down until he arrives. And do you know that what happened when the youngest, probably the scrawniest, most inexperienced, least of the sons of Jesse was brought in? The Lord said this, Rise and anoint him. He's the one. Now listen, think about this. He was so not thought to be eligible that his dad, his own dad, didn't even call him in for the prophet to choose from. Think about that. See, even his own dad sold him short, but not God. God saw his heart. You see, David received honor and eventually glory, and he was the most loved king of Israel, not because he had the best education or he was the best looking or he was the best connected. Day after day, year after year, while tending the sheep out in the fields, David listened to God and poured out his heart to him. David's heart was turned towards God. And God chose David because God looked at David's heart and he liked what he saw. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 13, 14, The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. God noticed David even when no one else did. That is so key. Probably no one ever told David he was a smart kid or he was doing a good job. And David had never won an award because he, before he was given the highest honor in the land as king of all of Israel. But David didn't do things in order to win the approval of man. David's heart was turned towards God. David got his value and his worth from his heavenly father. And God never sells us short. He gives us value far beyond what we deserve. We can only get our true value from listening to God. He will never sell us short. I want to stop there. And I want you to read the rest of this story tonight. I don't want to read it all. I want to save it as a little special extra thing for you to read tonight. And then at the end, there is something for you to pray. And there are some scriptures for you too. And I just want you to have that as something special for you to think about tonight or tomorrow, whenever you can. And I want to go on to the next thing. You all, I've never read so much. And yet, when I was putting this together, God started reminding me of things I'd written years and years ago. And I'm about to read you something that I wrote that happened to me in high school when I was your age, which I'd kind of forgotten about. And so we're talking about sex, self-esteem, and self-image. And remember that sex is becoming one flesh. Self-esteem is how you rate yourself. And you cannot rate yourself. And you can't let other people rate you. You have to have God rate you. And I want to say this too. We talked about writing down, don't let anyone else rate you. Don't let anyone else give you your worth and value. I want you to also write down, don't let myself give me my worth. 
Because there's going to be times that you are not going to feel good about yourself. You're just not. There's still times in my life. I'm, I am um, almost 40 years old, and I have two children. I have a beautiful, beautiful family and a husband who loves me so much. And there are times that I don't feel good about myself. And I can't let me give me my worth and value or I will be totally ineffective for God. I have to continually let God give me my value. And you have to continually let God give you your value. Your dads have to continually let God give them their value because there's going to be times where it's up and down. You're going to feel good about yourself because of circumstances. You're going to feel bad about yourself because of circumstances. You're going to feel good about yourself and bad about yourself, and you can only let God. Well, self-image is different than self-esteem. Self-image is how you see yourself, like we talked about. Um, First of all, i just got to tell you the truth. I have a really bad sense of direction before I tell you the story, and you'll understand how the story happened because I'm one of those people where maps mean nothing to me whatsoever. Nothing. Zero, zip, zilch. Don't give me a map. It means nothing. Now, I can find myself, um, I can find my way in any mall. I do not know why. (laughs) I'm fine in the mall. Any mall. Even if I've never been to that mall, I am like a honing pigeon. I can find my way. But in the car, I am really scary. Okay? So I just got my driver's license, and this is a story that I'd written down. And you know what's so cool? Write stuff down right now because you might, 22 years from now, speak to a group of girls that God handpicked to talk to. Wow. I'll never forget the time that I was so lost that I thought I would never make it home. I just received my driver's license and decided to visit a friend who's in the hospital, and my father told me it was very important to get explicit directions before I left for home for anywhere. But having spent a great amount of time in various hospitals in San Antonio, I confidently informed him that I didn't need directions because I knew exactly how to get there. The following day, I came home from cheerleading practice and struck off with a card and flowers to visit my friend, and soon I was zipping down the highway filled with bright billboards and construction crews. And after driving for 30 minutes, I decided I must have missed my turnoff. So I began to look for familiar things. Now, you have to know this about me. Directions to me mean, okay, there's a field of wildflowers, and you know the house with the porch swing, you turn right, and then there's another house that has a lot of dogs, and you turn left. You know what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with maps and streets and signs and exits, okay? So I began to look for familiar things, but nothing looked familiar. Hmm, I said to myself as I excitedly headed towards the direction that I'd come, I guess I better take a different route. Soon I had a choice between a highway that went west or one that went east or another that went south or north, and north looked more inviting, so I took north. After about 45 more minutes, Six or seven wrong turns, two gas station attendants, I found myself on another highway frantically driving 75 miles an hour, which I never recommend, but this is exactly as I wrote it, so I'm reading it to you, but never drive that fast. Thank you. Destination unknown. Panic set in. It was past supper time. It was getting dark. I had no idea where I was going. I was lost. I was alone. I was vulnerable 
because I knew that I could not just keep going. All I could think about was home. Have you ever been lost? It's like when you're lost, all you can think about is home. I wanted desperately to get back home, but I didn't know how to get there from where I was, so I just kept driving. Now, you all, this is before cell phones, okay? There's no cell phones. There are Tyrannosaurus Rexes walking along the highway. (laughs) All right, I'm just joking. But there's no cell phones, so you can't call and go, my gosh, somebody help me, mom, dad. There are no cell phones. And so when you get lost, You have to go to a gas station and use the payphone, and sometimes that's scary depending on what part of town you are. It was dark by the time I pulled the car over, ashamed, shaking. I got out a quarter from my purse and ran to the payphone and dialed home. My dad answered, hello. Dad, I said, choking back tears, I'm lost and I'm scared and I cannot find my way home. Where are you, KK? He asked gently. I don't know. There's a lot of billboards and a field of wildflowers, and I must have passed three or four gas stations, and I'm not sure where I am. I think I may be out past my friend Monica's house, or maybe the highway that goes to the ranch, or maybe my voice trailed off and my throat welled with sobs. Okay. Get in your car and lock it, and I'll come and get you, he said, and hung up. (laughs) I'll never know how he knew where to find me. But about 45 minutes later, my dad drove up. He didn't yell at me for not getting directions or for making the wrong turns. He just hugged me and said it was okay, and I followed him home. We try to get through life without God's direction. We rely on our own sense of directions, and we get lost, and we're scared and alone. We have no idea how to get back home from where we are. We've stopped at every fill-in station, which means well-meaning friends and family. That's usually where we stop when we're lost. And we can think of it in order to get help, but no one can help us. There's nothing left to do but call the Father. God is waiting for us to cry out to him in the midst of our fear, our hurt, our pain, and say, I'm scared, I'm lost, and I cannot find my way home. You don't need to wait until... You know where you are in life or how far you've wandered before you call on God. He doesn't need directions. He'll find you no matter how lost you are. And I want to say that tonight. I want to say this to you. You may be lost a little bit somewhere, somehow. If you are, you're normal. We all need Jesus all the time. And I want us to pray tonight. I also want you to know that if you're listening tonight and you're thinking, you know what, I've never even received Jesus really, or I'm not really sure. I'm too embarrassed at this point to ever say I'm not sure, or how do I know? I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ, who is this written Word of God, who is how you'll know who you are. But I want to pray because that is what I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. There's a reason that y'all are here tonight. And there's a reason that it's you and it's not someone else. There's a reason. This is for you. And 
I want you to do whatever the God, God is telling you to do. But I, you, know, you know one thing we don't do anymore? We don't show God honor. And so for us to pray tonight, I'm going to ask you to get on your knees, every single one of us. And I want us to pray and show God some honor tonight. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to do that tonight. Receive him into your heart. I'm going to pray that first. And if you want to, you just pray these words right after me. And even if you already have received him, I want you to pray it again because I don't want anyone to be embarrassed, okay? Father God, pray after me. Father God, I thank you for your son Jesus. I ask him to come into my heart right now. Forgive me for my sins. And be my Lord. I give my life to you, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed Kathleen's message. To order a copy of this and other messages, please call us in San Antonio, Texas at 210-822-5500 or toll free outside the San Antonio area, 877-397-7773. That's 1-877-397-7773. Visit our website, KathleenWitten.org, K-A-T-H-L-E-E-N-W-H-I-T-T-E-N.org. Thank you.